said Vimes, glancing at his in-tray. Oh, good, there weren't any memos from A.E. Pessimal. It's, um, it's like a book, sir, which talks. A bit like your gooseberry, I suppose. Most of them contain interpretations of dwarf lore by ancient lawmasters. It's very old magic, I suppose. Suppose, said Vimes. Well, technomantic devices look like things that are built, you know, out of... Captain, you've lost me again. What are devices, and why do you pronounce the capital D? Cubes are a type of device, sir. No one knows who made them or for what original purpose. They might be older than the world. They've been found in volcanoes and the deepest rocks. The deep downers have most of them. They come in all sorts of... Hold on. You mean that when they're dug up, there's dwarf voices from millions of years ago? Surely dwarfs haven't been... No, sir. Dwarfs put them on later. I'm not too well up on this. I think when they're first found, they mostly have natural noises, like moving water or birdsong or rocks moving, that sort of thing. The Grags found out how to get rid of those to make room for words, I think. I did hear about one that was the sounds of a forest. Ten million years of sounds in a cube less than two inches across. And they're valuable, these things? Unbelievably valuable, especially the cubes. Worth mining through a mountain of granite, as we say. Ah, that's a dwarf, we, not a copper, we, sir. So, digging through a few thousand of tons of Ankh-Morpork muck would be worth it, then. For a cube, yes. Is that what this is all about? But how would it get here? The average dwarf might never see one in his whole life. Only Grags and great chieftains use them. And why would it be talking? All dwarf ones can only be brought to life by a key word. Search me. What do they look like, apart from being cubical, I assume? I've only ever seen a few, sir. They're, oh, up to six inches on the side, look like old bronze, and they glitter. Green and blue, said Vimes sharply. Yes, sir. They had a few in the mine in Treacle Street. I think I saw them, said Vimes. And I think they've got one more. Voices from the past, eh? How come I've never heard of them before? Carrot hesitated. You're a very busy man, sir. You can't know everything. Vimes detected just a soupçon of a smidgen of a reproach there. Are you saying I'm a man of narrow horizons, Captain? Oh, no, sir. You're interested in every aspect of police work and criminology. Sometimes it was impossible to read Captain Carrot's face. Vimes didn't bother to try. I'm missing something, he said. But this is about Coombe Valley, I know it. Look, what is the secret of Coombe Valley? I don't know, sir. I don't think there is one. I suppose the big secret would be which side attacked first. You know, sir, both sides say they were ambushed by the other side. Does that sound very interesting to you, said Vimes? Would it matter much now? Who started it all? I should say so, sir, said Carrot. But I thought they'd been scrapping since time began. Yes, but Coombe Valley was the first official one, sir. Who won? said Vimes. Sir? It's not a difficult question, is it? Who won the first battle of Coombe Valley? I suppose you could say it was rained off, sir, said Carrot. They stopped a grudge match like that because of a bit of rain? For a lot of rain, sir. A thunderstorm just sat there in the mountains above it. There were flash floods full of boulders. The fighters were knocked off their feet and washed away. Some were struck by lightning. It quite ruined the old day, said Vimes. All right, Captain, do we have any idea where the bastards have gone? They had an escape tunnel. I bet they did. And collapsed it after them. I've got men digging. Stand them down. They could be in a safe house. They could have got out in a cart. Hell, they could all be wearing helmets and chainmail and passing for city dwarfs. Enough of that. We've been running people ragged. Let them go for now. I think we'll be able to find them again. Yes, sir. The Grags left so fast, sir, that they left some other devices. I've secured them for the city. They must have been very frightened. They took the cubes and ran. Are you all right, sir? You look a bit flustered. Actually, Captain, I feel inexplicably cheerful. Would you like to hear how my day went? The showers in the watch house were the talk of the city. Vimes had paid for them himself after Veterinary made an acidic comment about the cost. They were a bit primitive and were really no more than watering can heads connected to a couple of water tanks on the next floor, but after a night in Ankh-Morpork's underworld the thought of being really clean was very attractive. Even so, Angua hesitated. This is wonderful, said Sally, turning gently under a spray. What's wrong? Look, I'm just dealing with it all right, snapped Angua, standing just beyond the spray. It's full moon, OK? The wolf is a bit strong. 
Sally stopped scrubbing. Oh, I see, she said. Is it the whole B-A-T-H thing? You just had to say that, didn't you, said Angua, and forced herself to step onto the tiles. Well, what do you do normally? said Sally, handing her the soap. Cold water and pretend it's rain. Don't you dare laugh. Change your subject right now. All right. What did you think of Nobby's girlfriend? said Sally. Tawny, friendly, good-looking. Try perfect physical beauty, astonishing proportions, a walking classic. Well, yes, pretty much, Angua conceded. And all that is Nobby Nobbs's girlfriend? She seems to think so. You're not telling me she deserves Nobby, said Sally. Look, Verity Pushpram doesn't deserve Nobby, and she's got a weird squint, arms like a stevedore, and cooks shellfish for a living, said Angua. That's how things are. Is she his old girlfriend? He used to say so, as far as I know the physical side of the relationship consisted of her hitting him with a wet fish whenever he went near her. Angua squeezed the last of the slime out of her hair. It was tough stuff to lose. As it was, some of it was fighting not to go down the plug hole. That was enough. She didn't like to spend too much time in the S-H-O-W-E-R. Another six or so sessions, and the smell would have quite gone away. The important thing now was to remember to use a towel and not shake herself dry. "'You think I went down there to impress Captain Carrot, don't you?' said Sally behind her. Angua stopped, her head wrapped in toweling. "'Oh, well, it was going to happen sooner or later.' "'No,' she said. "'Your heart beats as otherwise,' Sally said meekly. "'Don't worry, I wouldn't have a chance.' His heart beats faster every time he looks at you, and yours skips a beat every time you see him. Okay, then, this is it, said the wolf, who was never far away. This is when we sort it out. Claw against fang. No, don't listen to the wolf. But it would help, wouldn't it, if this stupid bitch stopped listening to the bat? Stay out of people's hearts, she growled. I can't. You can't switch off your nose, can you? Can you? The moment of the wolf had passed. Angua relaxed a little. His heart beat faster, did it? No, she said. I can't. Has he ever seen you without your uniform? Ye gods, thought Angua, and headed for her clothes. Well, of course, she mumbled. I meant wearing something else, like a dress, Sally went on. Come on, every copper spends some time out of uniform. That's how you know you're off duty. But it's pretty much a twenty-four-eight job for us, said Angua. There's always... You mean it is for him, because he likes it that way, and so you go along with it, said the vampire and that one got through all Angua's defences. "'It's my life. Why should I listen to advice from a vampire?' "'Because you're a werewolf,' said Sally. "'Only a vampire would dare to give it, right? "'You don't have to be at his heel all the time. "'Look, I've been through all this, understand? "'It's a werewolf thing. We are what we are.' "'I'm not. "'You don't get the black ribbon just for signing the pledge, you know. "'And it doesn't mean you stop craving blood. "'You just don't do anything about it. "'At least you can go out at night and chase chickens.' There was a stony silence. Then Angua said, You know about the chickens? Yes. I pay for them, you know. I'm sure you do. And it's not as though it's every night. I'm sure it isn't. Oh, look, do you know there are people out there who will volunteer to be a vampire's dinner companion, providing it's all done with style, and we are considered weird? She sniffed. By the way, what did you wash your hair in? Willard Brothers Good Girl Flea Shampoo, said Angua. It brings out the gloss, she added defensively. Look, I want to get this clear, right? Just because we spent hours waiting around under the city, and okay, maybe saved each other's lives once or twice, it does not mean we're friends, okay? We just happened to be there at the same time. You do need some time off, said Sally. I was going to buy a drink for Tawny anyway to say thanks, and Cheery wants to tag along. How about it? We've been stood down for an hour. Time out for a little fun? Angua struggled with a seething snake's nest of emotions. Tawny had been very kind, and far more helpful than you might expect from someone wearing six inches of heel and four square inches of clothing. "'Come on,' said Sally encouragingly. "'I don't know about you, but it's going to take a bit of effort to get the taste of that mud out of my mouth.' "'Oh, all right. But this doesn't mean we're bonding.' "'Fine, fine. I'm not a bondage kind of person,' said Angua. "'Yes, yes,' said Sally. "'I can see that.' Vimes sat and stared at his notebook. He'd got Talking Cube written down and circled. Out of the corner of his ear, he could hear the sounds of the city watch rising from below, the bustle in the yard of the old lemonade factory, where the specials were assembling again just in case, the rattle of the hurry-up wagon, 
the general murmur of voices coming up through the floor. After some thinking, he wrote, Old Well, and circled that too. He'd scrumped plums in the gardens of Empirical Crescent with all the other kids. Half the houses were empty and no one cared much. Yes, there had been a well, but it had long been full up to the top with garbage even then. Grass was growing on the top. They only found the bricks because they looked for them. So, let's say that anything buried right at the bottom, where the dwarfs had headed, had been dumped, ooh, more than fifty, sixty years ago? You never saw a dwarf in Ankh-Morpork even forty years ago, and they weren't anything like rich or powerful enough to own a cube. They were hard workers, seeking, just possibly, a better life. So, what human would throw away a talking box worth a mountain of gold? He'd have to be bloody mad. Vimes sat rigidly, staring at the scrawls on the page. In the distance, Detritus was barking a command at someone. He felt like a man crossing a river on stepping stones. He was nearly halfway across, but the next stone was just a bit too far and could only be reached with serious groinal stress. Nevertheless, his foot was waving in the air, and it was that or a soaking. He wrote, Rascal. Then he circled the word several times, the pencil biting into the cheap paper. Rascal must have been to Coombe Valley. Let's say he found a cube there, who knows how. Just lying there? Anyway, he brings it home. He paints his picture and goes mad, but somewhere along the cube starts talking to him. Vimes wrote, Special word? He drew a circle around it so hard that his pencil broke. Maybe he can't find the word for stop talking. Anyway, he chucks it down a well. He tried to write, Did Rascal ever live in Empirical Crescent? and then gave up and tried to remember it. Anyway, then he dies, and afterwards this damn book is written. It doesn't sell many copies, but recently it's republished, and... Ah, but now there are lots of dwarfs in the city. That's true, there were only a few here even when I was a kid. Some of them read it, and something tells them that the secret is in this cube. They find out where it is. How? Damn. Doesn't the book say the secret of Coombe Valley is in the painting? Okay, maybe he somehow painted some kind of code into the painting to say where the cube was. But so what? What was so bad to hear that you killed the poor devils who heard it? I think I'm looking at this wrong. It's not my cow, it's a sheep with a pitchfork. Unfortunately, it goes quack. He was getting lost now, going all over the place, but he'd got a toe on the opposite stone and he felt he made some progress. But to what, exactly? I mean, what would really happen if there was real proof that, say, the dwarfs ambushed the trolls? Nothing that isn't happening already, that's what. You could always find an excuse that your side will accept, and who cares what the enemy thinks? In the real world, it wouldn't make any difference. There was a very faint knock at the door, the sort that you use if you secretly hope it won't be answered. Vimes sprang from his chair and pulled it open. A. E. Pessimal stood there. Ah, A.E., said Vimes, going back to his desk and laying down his pencil. Come on in. What can I do for you? How's the arm? Um, uh, could you spare a moment of your time, Your Grace? Your Grace, thought Vimes. Well, he hadn't the heart to object this time. He sat down again. A.E. Pessimal was still wearing the chainmail shirt with the specials badge on it. He didn't look very shiny. Brick's swipe had bowled him across the plaza like a ball. Um, A.E. Pessimal began. You'll have to start as a lance constable, but a man of your talents ought to make it a sergeant within a year, and you can have your own office, said Vimes. A. E. Pessimal shut his eyes. How do you know? he breathed. You attacked a boozed-up troll with your teeth, said Vimes. There's a man born for the badge, I thought to myself. And that's what you've always wanted, right? But you were always too small, too weak, too shy to be a watchman. I can buy big and strong anywhere. Right now I need a man who knows how to hold a pencil without breaking it. You'll be my adjutant, said Vimes. You'll handle all my paperwork. You'll read the reports. You'll try to figure out what's important. And so you can learn what is important, you'll have to do at least two patrols a week. A tear was running down A.E. Pessimal's cheek. Thank you, Your Grace, he said hoarsely. If A.E. Pessimal had enough chest to stick out, it would be sticking. Of course, you'll need to finish your report on the watch first, Vimes went on. That is a matter between you and his lordship. And now, if you'll excuse me, I really must get on. I look forward to seeing you working for me, Lance Constable Pessimal. Thank you, Your Grace. Oh, and you won't call me Your Grace, said Vimes. 
He thought for a moment, and decided that the man had earned this all in one go, and added, Mr. Vimes will do. And so we make progress, he said to himself, after A. E. Pessimal had floated away. And his lordship won't like it, so, as far as I can see, there's no downside. Quis custodiet ipsos custodes, er, qui custodes custodient. Was that right for who watches the watcher that watches the watchman? Probably not. Still, your move, my lord. He was just puzzling over his notebook again when the door opened without an introductory knock. Sybil entered with a plate. You're not eating enough, Sam, she announced, and the canteen here is a disgrace. It's all grease and garbage. That's what the men like, I'm afraid, said Vimes guiltily. I've cleaned out the tar in the tea urn at least, Sybil went on with satisfaction. You cleaned out the tea urn? said Vimes in a hollow voice. It was like being told that someone had wiped the patina off a fine old work of art. Yes, it was like tar in there. There really wasn't much proper food in the store, but I managed to make you a bacon, lettuce and tomato sandwich. Thank you, dear. Vimes cautiously lifted a corner of the bread with his broken pencil. There seemed to be too much lettuce, which was to say, there was some lettuce. There's a lot of dwarfs come to see you, Sam, said Sybil, as if this was preying on her mind. Vimes stood up so fast that his chair fell over. Is young Sam all right? he said. Yes, Sam. They're city dwarfs. You know them all, I think. They say they want to talk to you about... But Vimes was already clattering down the stairs, drawing his sword as he did so. The dwarfs were clustered nervously by the duty sergeant's desk. They had that opulence of metalwork, sleekness of beard and thickness of girth that marked them out as dwarfs who were doing very well for themselves, or who had been right up until now. Vimes appeared in front of them like a whirlwind of wrath. You scum, you rat-sucking little worm-eaters, you heads-down little scurriers in the dark, what did you bring to my city? What were you thinking? Did you want the deep-downers here? Did you think about what Hamcrusher said, all that bile and ancient lies? Or did you say, well, I don't agree with him, of course, but he's got a point? Did you say, oh, he goes too far, but it's about time somebody said it? And now, have you come here to wring your hands and say how deplorable it was nothing to do with you? Who were the dwarfs and the mobs, then? Aren't you community leaders? Were you leading them? And why are you here now, you ugly, snivelling grubbers? Is it possible, is it possible that now, after that bastard's bodyguards tried to kill my family, you're here to complain? Have I broken some code, trodden on some ancient toe? To hell with it! To hell with you!' He could feel the words straining, fighting to get out, and the effort of restraining them filled his stomach with acid and made his temples throb. Just one whine, he thought, just one pompous moan. Go on. Well, he demanded, rubbing his aching hand. The dwarfs had perceptibly moved backwards. Vimes wondered if they'd read his thoughts. They'd echoed in his brain loudly enough. A dwarf cleared his throat. Commander Vimes, he began. You're Paul strong in the arm, aren't you? Vimes demanded. One half of Burley and strong in the arm? You make crossbows. Yes, Commander, and remove your weapons, all of them, all of you. The room fell silent. Out of the corner of his eye, Vimes saw a couple of dwarf officers, who had at least been pretending to be engaged in paperwork, rising from their seats. He was being dangerously stupid, part of him knew, but right now he wanted to hurt a dwarf, and he wasn't allowed to do it with steel. Most of the battle stuff they wore was simply for clang in any case, but a dwarf would sooner drop his drawers than put aside his axe. And these were serious city dwarfs, with seats and the guilds and everything. Ye gods, he was going too far. He managed to grunt, All right, keep your battle axes. Leave everything else at the desk. You'll get a receipt. For a moment, quite a long moment, he thought. No, he hoped they would refuse, but one of them, somewhere in the group, said, I think we must do this for the commander. These are difficult times. We must learn to fit them. Vimes went up to his office, hearing the clinks and clangs behind him, and landed so violently in his chair that it rolled back against the wall. The receipt was a nasty touch. He was quite pleased with it. On his desk, on a little stand that Sybil had made for it, was his official baton of office. It was, in fact, the same size as the ordinary copper's truncheons, but turned out of rosewood and silver, instead of lignum vitae or oak. It still had plenty of weight, though, certainly enough to leave the words Protector of the King's Peace printed back to front on a dwarf skull. The dwarfs were ushered in, looking slightly less heavy. Just one word, Vimes thought, as the acid swirled. One damn word. Go on, just breathe wrong. Very well. What can I do for you? he said. Um, I'm sure you know all of us, Paws began, trying to smile. Probably. The dwarf next to you is Grabpot Thundergust. 
who has just launched the new Ladies' Secrets range of perfumes and cosmetics. My wife uses your stuff all the time. Thundergust, in traditional chainmail, a three-horned helmet, and with an enormous axe strapped across his back, gave Vimes an embarrassed nod. Vimes's gaze moved on. And you are Setha Ironcrust, proprietor of the chain of bakeries of the same name. And you are surely Gimlet Gimlet, owner of two famous dwarf delicatessens and the newly opened Yo Rat in Attic B Street. Vimes looked around the office, dwarf after dwarf, until he got back to the front row and a dwarf of fairly modest dress by dwarf standards, who had been watching him intently. Vimes had a good memory for faces, and had seen this one recently but couldn't place it. Perhaps it had been behind a well-flung half-brick. You. I don't think I know you, he said. Oh, we haven't exactly been introduced, Commander, said the dwarf cheerfully, but I'm very interested in the theory of games. Or Mr. Shine's Thud Academy, Vimes thought. The dwarf's voice sounded like the one that had, he'd admit it, been of diplomatic help downstairs. He wore a simple, plain, round helmet, a simple leather shirt with some basic mail on it, and his beard was clipped to something tidier than the general dwarfish gorse-bush effect. Compared to the other dwarfs, this one looked streamlined. Vimes couldn't even see an axe. Indeed, he said. Well, in fact, I don't play em, so what's your name? Bashful, Bashfulson, Commander. Grag Bashfulson. Quietly, Vimes picked up his truncheon and rolled it in his fingers. Not underground, then, he said. Some of us move on, sir. Some of us think that darkness isn't a depth, it's a state of mind. That's nice of you, said Vimes. Oh, friendly and forward-looking are we now? Where were you yesterday? But now I've got all the aces. Those bastards murdered four city dwarfs. They broke into my home, tried to kill my wife, and now they've had it away on their toes. Wherever they've gone, they're going da coming up. He put the truncheon back on its stand. As I said, what can I do for you, gentlemen? He got the sense that they were all turning, physically or mentally, to Bashfulson. I see, he thought. It seems that what we have here is a dozen monkeys and one organ grinder, eh? How can we help you, Commander? said the Grag. Vimes stared. You could have stopped them. That's how you could have helped. Don't give me those sombre faces. Maybe you didn't say yes, but you sure as hell didn't say no loud enough. I owe you not one damned thing. Don't come to me for your bloody absolution. Right now, by going out into the street, walking up to the biggest troll you can see and shaking him warmly by the hand, maybe, said Vimes. Or just going out into the street. Quite frankly, I'm busy, gentlemen, and the middle of a horse race is not the time to be mending fences. They'll be heading for the mountains, said Bashfulson. They'll steer clear of Oberwelt and Lanka. They won't be sure of meeting friends there. That means going to the mountains via Chlamydos. Lots of caves there, Vimes shrugged. We can see you're annoyed, Mr. Vimes, said Strong in the arm, but we... I've got two dead assassins in the morgue, said Vimes. One of them died of poison. What do you know about that? And I'm Commander Vimes, thank you. It's said they take a slow poison before they go on an important mission, said Bashfulson. No turning back, eh? said Vimes. Well, that's interesting, but it's the living that concern me right now, he stood up. I have to go and see a dwarf in the cells who does not want to talk to me. Ah, yes, that would be helm clever, said Bashfulson. He was born here, Commander, but went off to study the mountains more than three months ago against his parents' wishes. I'm sure he never intended anything like this. He was trying to find himself. Well, he can start looking in my cells, said Vimes crisply. May I be there when you question him, said the Grag. Why? snapped Vimes. Well, for one thing it may prevent rumours that he was mistreated. Or start them, said Vimes. Who watches the watchman, he asked himself. Me. Bashfulson gave him a cool look. It could calm the situation, sir. I don't habitually beat up prisoners, if that's what you're suggesting, said Vimes. And I am sure you would not wish to do so tonight. Vimes opened his mouth to shout the grag out of the building and stopped. Because the cheeky little sod had got its right slap bang on the money. Vimes had been on the edge since leaving the house. He'd felt a tingling across his skin, and a tightness in his gut, and a sharp, nasty little headache. Someone was going to pay for all this, 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 thisness, and it didn't need to be a screwed-up bit player like Helmclever. 
and he was not certain, not certain at all, what he'd do if the prisoner gave him any lip or tried to be smart. Beating people up in little rooms, he knew where that led. And if you did it for a good reason, you'd do it for a bad one. You couldn't say, we're the good guys and do bad guy things. Sometimes the watching watchman could use an extra pair of eyes. Justice had to be seen to be done, so he'd see it done up good and proper. Gentlemen, he said, keeping his eye on the grag but talking to the room at large. I know all of you. You all know me. You're respected dwarfs with a stake in this city. I want you to vouch for Mr. Bashfulson because I've never met him before in my life. Come on, Gimlet. I've known you for years. What do you say? They killed my son, said Ironcrust. A knife dropped into Vimes's head. It slipped down his windpipe, sliced his heart, cut through his stomach and disappeared. Where the rage had been there was a chill. I'm sorry, Commander, said Bashfulson quietly. It's true. I don't think Gunder Ironcrust was interested in the politics, you understand. He just took a job at the mine because he wanted to feel like a real dwarf and work with a shovel for a few days. I left him to the mud, said Ironcrust, in a voice that was eerily without emotion. Any help you need, we'll, we'll give. Any help. But when you find them, kill them all. Vimes could think of nothing more to say than, I will catch them. He didn't say, kill them? No, not if they surrender, not if they don't come at me armed. I know where that leads. Then we will leave and let you get about your business, said Strong in the arm. Grash Bashfulson is no to us indeed. A little modern, perhaps. A little young. Not the kind of grag we grew up with, but yes, we'd vouch for him. Good night, Commander. Vimes stared at his desk as they filed out. When he looked up, the grag was still there with a patient little smile. You don't look like a grag. You look like just another dwarf, said Vimes. Why have no heard of you? Because you're a policeman, perhaps, said Bashfulson meekly. Okay, I take the point. But you're not a deep downer. Bashfulson shrugged. I can think deep thoughts. I was born here, Commander, just like Helmclever. I don't believe I need a mountain over my head in order to be a dwarf. Vimes nodded. A local lad, not some mountain greybeard, got a quick brain, too. No wonder the leaders like him. All right, Mr. Bashfulson, you can tag along, he said. But it's on two conditions, OK? Condition one, you've got five minutes to lay your hands on a thud set. I think you can do that. I think I can, too, said the dwarf, smiling faintly. And the other condition? How long will it take you to teach me to play, said Vimes. You? You've never played it at all? No. A certain troll showed me the game a little while ago, but I've never played games since I grew up. I used to be good at tiddly-rats when I was a nipper, though. Tiddly-rats is a famous Ankh-Morpork gutter sport, second only to dead rat conkers. Turd races in the gutter appear to have died out, despite an attempt to take them up market with the name Poo-Sticks. Well, a few hours should be... Bashfulson began. We don't have time, said Vimes. You've got ten minutes. The drinking had started in the bucket in Gleam Street. This was the Coppers pub. Mr. Cheese, the owner, understood about coppers. They liked to drink somewhere where they wouldn't see anything that reminded them they were a copper. Fun was not encouraged. It was Tawny who suggested that they moved to Thank God's It's Open. Angua wasn't really in the mood, but she hadn't the heart to say no. The plain fact was that, while Tawny had a body that every other woman should hate her for, she compounded the insult by actually being very likeable. This was because she had the self-esteem of a caterpillar, and as you found out after any kind of conversation with her, about the same amount of brain. Perhaps it all balanced out. Perhaps some kindly god had said to her, Sorry, kid, you are going to be thicker than a yard of lard, but the good news is that's not going to matter. And she had a stomach made of iron, too. Angua found herself wondering how many hopeful men had died trying to drink her under the table. Alcohol didn't seem to go to her brain at all. Maybe it couldn't find it. But she was pleasant, easy-going company, if you avoided allusion, irony, sarcasm, repartee, satire, and words longer than chicken. Angua was tetchy because she was dying for a beer, but the young man behind the bar thought that a pint of winkles was the name of a cocktail. Given the drinks on offer, perhaps this was not surprising. What, said Angua, reading the menu, is a screaming orgasm? Ah, said Sally, looks like we got to you just in time, girl. No, sighed Angua, as the others laughed. That was such a vampire response. I mean, what's it made of?
Al Monte, Walulu, Bearhugger's Whiskey Cream and Vodka and Vodka, said Tawny, who knew the recipe for every cocktail ever made. And how does it work? said Cheery, craning to see over the top of the bar. Sally ordered four and turned back to Tawny. So, you and Nobby Nobs, eh? she said. How about that? Three sets of ears flared. The other thing you got used to in the presence of Tawny was silence. Everywhere she went, went quiet. Oh, and the stairs. The silent stairs. And sometimes, in the shadows, a sigh. There were goddesses who'd kill to look like Tawny. He's nice, said Tawny. He makes me laugh, and he keeps his hands to himself. Three faces locked in expressions of concentrated thought. In Angua's case, one was... This is Nobby we're talking about. There are so many questions that we are not going to ask. Has he shown you the tricks he can do with his spots, she said. Yes, I thought I'd whittle myself. He's so funny. Angua stared into her drink. Cheery coughed. Sally studied the menu. And he's very dependable, said Tawny. And as if dimly aware that this was still not sufficient, she added sadly, If you must know, he's the first boy who's ever asked me out. Sally and Angua breathed out together. Light dawned. Ah, that was the problem, and this one's a bad case. I mean, my hair's all over the place, my legs are too long, and I know my bosom is far too... Tawny went on, but Sally had raised a quietening hand. First point, Tawny. My real name's Betty, said Tawny, blowing a nose so exquisite that the greatest sculptor in the world would have wept to carve it. It went blot. First point, then, Betty, Sally managed, struggling to use the name, is that no woman under forty-five... Fifty, Angora corrected. Right, fifty. No woman under fifty uses the word bosom to name anything connected to her. You just don't do it. I didn't know that, Tawny sniffed. It's a fact, said Angora. And, oh dear, how to begin to explain the jerk syndrome to someone like Tawny, on whom the name Betty stuck like rocks to a ceiling. This wasn't just a case of the jerk syndrome. This was it, the quintessential, classic, pure, platonic example that should be stuffed and mounted and preserved as a teaching aid for students in the centuries to come. And she was happy with Nobby. What I've got to tell you now is, she began, and faded in the face of the task, is, look, shall we have another drink? What's the next cocktail on the menu? Cheery peered at it. Pink, big and wobbly, she announced. Classy, we'll have four. Fred Colon peered through the bars. He was, on the whole, a pretty good jailer. He always had a pot of tea on the go. He was, as a general rule, amiably disposed to most people. He was too slow to be easily fooled. And he kept the cell keys in a tin box in the bottom drawer on his desk, a long way out of the reach of any stick hand, dog, cunningly thrown belt, or trained Clatchian spider-monkey, making Fred Colon possibly unique in the annals of jail history. He was a bit worried about this dwarf. You got all sorts in jail, and they often yelled a bit, but with this one he didn't know what was worse, the sobbing or the silence. He'd put a candlestick on a stool by the bars, too, because the dwarf carried on alarmingly if there wasn't enough light. He stirred the tea reflectively and handed the mug to Nobby. "'We've got a rum one here, I reckon,' he said. "'A dwarf that's scared of the dark, not right in the head, then. "'Wouldn't touch his tea and biscuit. What do you think?' "'I think I'll have his biscuit,' said Nobby, reaching over to the plate. "'Where are you down here, anyway?' said Fred. "'I'm surprised you ain't out there a-oogling of young women.' "'Tawny's gone out boozing with the girls tonight,' said Nobby. "'Ah, you want to warn her about that sort of thing,' said Fred Colon. You know what it's like in the centre when the pubs and clubs empty? There's throwing up and yelling and unladylike behaviour and taking their vests off and I don't know what. It's called, he scratched his head, minge drinking. She's only gone out with Angua and Sally and Cheery, Sarge, said Nobby, taking another biscuit. Ooh, you want to watch that, Nobby? We mean ganging up on a man? Fred paused. A vampire and a werewolf out on the razzle. Take my tip, lad, stay indoors tonight. And if they start behaving in... He stopped as the sound of Sam Vimes's voice came down the spiral stone steps, followed closely by its owner. So, I've got to stop them forming a block, right? If you're playing the troll side, yes, said a new voice. A tight group of dwarfs is bad news for trolls. 
Trollshav Dwarf's Throw. Right. And the central rock, no one can jump that, right? Said Vimes. Yes. I still think the dwarfs have it all their own way. We shall see. The important thing... Vimes stopped when he saw Nobby and Colon. OK, lads, I'll talk to the prisoner now, he said. How is he? Fred indicated the hunched figure on the narrow bunk in the corner cell. Captain Carrot tried talking to him for nearly half an hour, and you know he's got away with people, he said. Didn't get as much as a sentence out of him. I read him his rates, but don't ask me if he understood them. He didn't want his tea and biscuit at any rate. That's rates five and five B, he added, looking bashful and up and down. He gets rate five C only if we've got tea time assortment. Can he walk? said Vimes. He sort of shuffles, sir. Fetch him out, then, said Vimes. And seeing Fred's inquiring look at Bashfulson, he went on, This gentleman is here to make sure we don't use the rubber truncheon, Sergeant. Didn't know we had one, Mr. Vimes, said Fred. We haven't, said Vimes. No point in it and with something that bounces, eh? he added, looking at Bashfulson, who smiled once again his strange little smile. One candle burned on the table. For some reason, Fred had seen fit to put another one on a stool near the one-occupied cell. "'Isn't it a bit dark in here, Fred?' said Vimes, as he pushed aside the debris of mugs and old newspapers that covered most of the table. "'Yes, sir. The dwarfs came and nicked some of our candles to put round their hit, uh, uh, that nasty sign,' said Fred, with a nervous look at Bashfulson. "'Sorry, sir.' "'I don't know why we can't just burn it,' grumbled Vimes, setting out the thudboard. That would be dangerous now that the summoning dark is in the world, said Bashfulson. You believe in that stuff? said Vimes. Believe? No, said the Grag. I just know it exists. The troll pieces go all round the central stone, sir, he added helpfully. Populating the board with its little warriors took some time, but so did the arrival of Helm Clever. With Fred Colon steering him gently by a shoulder, he walked like someone in a dream. His eyes turned up so that they mostly showed the whites his iron boots scraped on the flagstones. Fred pushed him gently into a chair and put the second candle beside him. Like magic, the dwarf's eyes focused on the little stone armies to the exclusion of everything else in the jail. "'We're playing a game, Mr. Helmclever,' said Vimes quietly, "'and you can choose your side.' Helmclever reached out with a trembling hand and touched a piece. A troll. A dwarf had chosen to play as the trolls.' Vimes gave the hovering Bashfulson a questioning glance and got another smile in return. Okay, you got as many of the little sods as possible in a defensive huddle, right? Vimes's hand hesitated and shifted the dwarf across the board. The click as he placed it was echoed by the one made by the movement of Helmclever's next troll. The dwarf looked sleepy, but his hand had moved with snake speed. Who killed the four mining dwarfs, Helmclever? said Vimes softly. Who killed the boys from the city? Dull eyes looked at him, and then, meaningfully, at the board. Vimes moved a dwarf at random. The dark soldiers, Helmclever whispered, as a little troll clicked smartly into place. Who ordered it? Again the look. Again a dwarf placed at random, followed by a troll that was moved so fast that the two pieces seemed to hit the board together. Greg Hamcrusher ordered it. Why? Click, click. They'd heard it speaking. What was it that spoke? Was it a cube? Click, click. Yes, it was dug up. It said it spoke with a voice of Barion Bloodaxe. Vimes heard a gasp from Bashfulson and caught Fred Colon's eye. He jerked his head toward the cell-blocked door and mouthed a couple of words. Wasn't he a famous dwarf king? said Vimes. Click, click. Yes, he commanded the dwarfs at Coombe Valley, said Helmclever. And what did this voice say? said Vimes. Click, click and a third click from behind Vimes as Fred Colon locked the door and stood in front of it, looking impassive. I do not know. Arden said it was about the battle. He said it was lies. Who killed Greg Hamcrusher? Click, click. I do not know. Arden called me to the meeting and said there was terrible fighting among the Gregs. Arden said one of them killed him in the dark, with a mining hammer, but none knew who. They were all struggling together. All dressed alike, Vimes thought. Just shapes, if you can't see their wrists. Why did they want to kill him? Click, click. They had to stop him destroying the words. He was screaming and hitting the cube with the hammer. There are sensitive areas on a cube, and it's possible if they're touched in the wrong order. All the sound will vanish, whispered Bashfulson. I should think the hammer would do the trick whatever it hit, said Vimes, turning his head. No, Commander. 
Devices are immensely tough. They must be. Vimes turned back to Helmclever. It's wrong to destroy lies, but it's okay to kill the miners, he said. Click. He heard the hiss of Bashfulson's intake of breath. Well, yes, perhaps that could have been better put. There was no answering move. Helmclever hung his head. It was wrong to kill the miners, he whispered. And why not destroy lies? But it is wrong to think these thoughts, so I... I said nothing. The old Grags were angry and upset and confused, so Ardent took charge. He said one dwarf killing another underground. Everyone knew that was no business for humans. He said he could make it all right. He said everyone must listen to him. He told the dark guards to take the body to the new outer chamber, and he told me to fetch my club. Vimes glanced at Bashfulson and mouthed the word, Club? He got an emphatic nod in return. Helmclever sat, hunched in silence, and then raised one hand slowly and moved a troll. Click. Click, click. Click, click. Click, click. Vimes tried to spare a few brain cells for the game while his mind raced and tried to piece the random information spilling out of Helmclever. So, it all starts when they come here looking for this magic cube which can speak. Why did they come to the city? How did they know the cube was here? Click, click. When I went to begin my training, I took a copy of the Codex. Ardent confiscated it. But then they called me to a meeting and said it was very important, and they would honour me by letting me go with them to the city. Ardent told me it was a great opportunity. Greg Hamcrusher had a mission, he said. They didn't even know about the painting. They lived under a mountain. They believed that humans are not real. But Ardent is smart. He said there were always rumours that something had come out of Coombe Valley. I bet he's smart, Vimes thought. So they come here, do a little light pastoral work and rabble-rousing, and search for the cube in a very dwarfish way. They find it, but the poor bastards who are doing the digging hear what it's got to say. Well, everyone knows dwarfs gossip, so the dark guards make sure these four don't have a chance to. Click, click. Click, click. Then friend Hamcrusher doesn't like what he hears either. He wants to destroy this thing. In the struggle in the dark, one of the other Grags does the world a favour and fetches him a crack on the noggin. But, whoops, big mistake, because the mob is going to miss him and his jolly urging to wholesale troll slaughter. You know how dwarfs gossip and you can't kill them all. So, while it's still just us all together in the dark, we need a plan. Forward Mr. Ardent, who says, I know, we'll take the corpse out to a tunnel that a troll might just have got into and bash its head in with a club. A troll did it. What right-thinking dwarf could possibly believe anything else? Click, click. Why the candles? said Vimes. The old Grags have been sitting in brilliant candlelight when I saw them. Click, click. The Grags ordered it, Helmclever whispered. They feared what might come for them in the darkness. And what was it that might come? Click. Helmclever's hand stopped in midair. For several seconds nothing moved in the little circle of yellow light except the candle flames themselves. In the darkness beyond, the shadows craned to hear. I cannot say, whispered the dwarf. Click. Click, click. 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 Fimes glared at the board. Where'd that troll come from? Helmclever had wiped three dwarfs off the board in one go. Ardent says there's always a troll. A troll got into the mine, said Helmclever. The Grag said yes, that must have been it. But they knew the truth! Click, click. 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 Three more dwarfs gone, just like that. Truth is what a Grag says it is, said Helmclever. The sunlight world is a bad dream anyway. Ardent said no one was to speak about it. He said I was to tell all the guards about the troll. Blame it on a troll, Vimes thought. For the dwarf, that came naturally. A big troll did it and ran away. This isn't just a can of worms, it's a nest of bloody vipers. He stared at the board. Bloody hell! I'm running into a wall here. What am I left with? Brick saw a dwarf hitting another dwarf, but that wasn't the murder. That was Ardent, or someone, giving Hamcrush's dead body that distinctive bashed-by-a-troll look. I'm not actually certain that's a crime. The murder was done in the dark by one of six dwarfs, and the other five might not even know who did it. OK, maybe I can say they conspire to conceal a crime. Hold on. But it wasn't Ardent who said the watch should not be told, he said. That was you, wasn't it? Did you want me to be angry, Mr. Helmclever? He moved a dwarf. Click. Helmclever looked down. Since no answer was forthcoming, Vimes captured the wandering troll and placed it beside the board. I did not think you would come. Helmclever's voice was barely audible. Hamcrusher was, I think, 
I didn't... Arden said you wouldn't worry because the Grag was such a danger. He said the Grag had ordered the miners to be killed, so now it was ended. But I thought it... I... It wasn't right. Things were wrong. I heard you were full of pride. I had to get you... interested. He... he... You thought I wouldn't be? A troll is accused of murdering a dwarf at a time like this, and I wouldn't be interested. Ardent said you would not be because no humans were involved. He said you would not care what happens to dwarfs. He ought to get out in the fresh air more, said Vimes. Helmclever's eyes and nose were running now and dripping on the board. A storm stops the battle, Vimes thought. Then the dwarf lifted his head and wailed. It was the club the troll Mr. Shine gave me for winning five games in a row, he wailed. He was my friend. He said I was as good as a troll, so I should have a club. I told Arden it was a war trophy, but he took it and bashed that poor dead body. Water dripping on a stone, Vimes thought. And it depends on where the drops fall, right, Mr. Shine? What good has it done this poor devil? He wasn't in the right job to have doubt enter his life. All right, Mr. Helmclever, thank you for this, he said, sitting back. There is just one thing, though. Do you know who sent those dwarfs to my house? What dwarfs? Vimes stared into the weeping red-rimmed eyes. Their owner was either telling the truth or the stage had missed a major talent. They came to attack me and my family, he said. I did hear Ardent talking to the captain of the guard, Helmclever murmured. Something about a warning. A warning? Do you call— Vimes began and stopped when he saw Bashfulson shaking his head. Right, right. No point in taking it out on this one. He's had all the stuffing knocked out of him in any case. They are very frightened now, Helmclever said. They don't understand the city. They don't understand why trolls are allowed here. They don't understand people who don't understand them. They fear you. They fear everything now. Where have they gone? I don't know. Ardent said they would have gone now anyway because they've got the cube and the painting, said Helmclever. He said the painting will show where there are more lies and those can be destroyed. But they fear most of all the summoning dark commander. They can feel it coming for them. It's only a drawing, said Vimes. I don't believe in it. I do, said Helmclever, calmly. It is in this room. How does it come? It comes in darkness and in vengeance and in disguise. Vimes felt his skin twitch. Nobby looked around the grimy stone walls. Bashfulson sat bolt upright in his chair. Even Fred Colon shifted uneasily. This is just mystic stuff, Vimes told himself. It's not even human mystic stuff. I don't believe in it. So why does it feel a bit chilly in here? He coughed. Well, once it knows they've gone, I expect it'll head out after them. And it will come for me, said Helmclever in the same calm voice. He folded his hands in front of him. Why? You didn't kill anybody, said Vimes. You don't understand. They, they, when they killed the miners, one was not all the way dead, and, and, and we could hear him hammering on the door with his fists. And I stood in the tunnel and listened to him die, and I wished him dead so the noise would stop, but, but, but when it did, it went on in my head, and I, I could, I could, I could have turned the wheel, but I was afraid of the dark guards who have no souls, and because of that, the darkness will take mine. The little voice died away. There was a nervous cough from Nobby. Well, thank you again, said Vimes. Good grief. They really messed up his head, poor little sod. And I've got nothing, he thought. I might get ardent on a charge of falsifying evidence. I can't put brick in the witness box because I'll simply be proving there was a troll in the mine. All I've got is young Helmclever here who's barely fit to testify. He turned to Bashelson and shrugged. I think I'd like to keep our friend here tonight for his own good. I can't imagine there's anywhere else for him to go. The statement he made is, of course, covered by... Now his voice trailed off as his memory nudged him. He turned back in his chair to glare at the sorrowful Helmclever. What painting? he said. The painting of the Battle of Coombe Valley by Methodia Rascal, said the dwarf, not looking up. It's very big. They stole it from the museum. What? said Fred Colon, who was making tea in the corner. It was them. What? You know about this, Fred? Vimes demanded. We, uh, yes, Mr. Vimes, we did a report. Coombe Valley! Coombe Valley! Coombe Valley! roared Vimes slapping his hand down on the table so hard that the candlesticks jumped into the air. A report? What the hell good's a report? Have I got time these days to read reports? Why doesn't someone tell me these things? 
One candlestick rolled onto the floor and went out. Vimes grabbed for the other as it reached the edge of the table, but it spun away from his fingers and landed wick first on the flagstones. Darkness fell like an axe. Helmclever groaned. It was a heartfelt, soul-creaking groan like the death rattle from a living mouth. Nobby! screamed Vimes. Light a goddamn match right now, and that's a goddamn order! There was a frantic scrabbling in the dark, and then a match head was a sudden supernova. Well, bring it here, man, he shouted to Nobby. Get those candles lit! Helmclever was still staring at the table where the ill-tempered thump had scattered the remains of the game. Vimes glanced down at the game board as the candle flames grew. If you were the kind to see things, you'd say that the trolls and dwarfs had fallen in a rough circle around the central rock, while a few more dwarfs had rolled away in a line. You'd say, in fact, that from above they formed the shape of a round eye with a tail. Helmclever gave a little sigh and slipped sideways onto the floor. Vimes stood up to help him, and then remembered just in time about politics. He forced himself to back away, hands in the air. "'Mr. Bashelson,' he said, "'I can't touch him, please.' The grag nodded and knelt down by the dwarf. "'No pulse, no heartbeat,' he announced. "'I'm sorry, Commander.' "'Then it looks as though I'm now in your hands,' said Vimes. "'Indeed, in the hands of a dwarf,' said the grag, standing up. "'Commander Vimes,' I will swear that Helmclever was treated with nothing but concern and courtesy while I was here, and perhaps with more kindness from you than a dwarf might have right to expect. His death is not on your hands. The summoning dark called him. Dwarfs will understand. Well, I don't. Why'd it kill him? What did the poor bugger do? I think it's more true to say that the fear of the summoning dark killed him, said the Grag. He left a miner trapped, had his cries in the dark and did nothing. To all dwarfs that is a terrible crime. As bad as wiping away a word, said Vimes sourly. He felt more shaken up than he'd care to admit. He shouldn't have slapped the table like that, but he'd been so angry, and now his hand hurt more than ever. Some would say it is far worse. His own guilt and fear killed Helmclever. It's as if he had his own summoning dark in his head, said Bashelson. In a way, perhaps, we all have, Commander, or something similar. You know, your religion really messes people up, said Vimes. Not in comparison to what they do to one another, said Bashfulson, calmly folding the dead dwarf's hands across his chest. And it is not a religion, Commander. Tack wrote the world and the laws, and then he left us. He does not require that we think of him, only that we think. He stood up. I shall explain the situation to my fellows, Commander. Incidentally, I would ask you to take me with you to Coombe Valley. Did I say I was going to Coombe Valley? said Vimes. All right, said the Grag calmly. Let's say, then, that should the mood take you to go to Coombe Valley, you will take me. I know the place, I know the history. I even know quite a lot about mine sign, especially the major darknesses. I may be useful. You demand all that just for telling the truth, said Vimes. As a matter of fact, no. Judds, has factus, a bargain with no axe in my hand. I will tell the truth whatever you decide, said Bashfulson. However, since you are not going to Coombe Valley, Commander, I will not press you. It was only an idle thought. Fun. What is it good for? It's not pleasure, joy, delight, enjoyment, or glee. It's a hollow, cruel, vicious little bastard. A word for something sought with a hilarious couple of wobbly antennae on your head and the words, I want it, on your shirt, and it tends to leave you waking up with your face stuck to the street. Somehow, Angua had acquired a magenta feather boa. It wasn't her. It wasn't anyone. It had just turned up. The sheer fakery of it made her more gloomy. Something was nagging at the back of her mind, and it annoyed her that she didn't know what it was. They had ended up in beers, as she knew they would. It was the undead bar, although it tolerated anyone who wasn't too normal. It certainly tolerated Tawnee. She just didn't get it, did she? The reason why men never talked to her? The trouble was, thought Angua, that Nobby wasn't actually a bad person, as such. As far as she knew, he'd always been faithful to Miss Pushpram, which was to say that when it came to being hit with a fish and then pelted with clams— he never thought of any other girl but her. He actually had quite a romantic soul, but it was encased in what could only be called Nobby Nobs. Sally had accompanied Tawnee to the ladies, which was always wise in beers. Now Angua was staring at yet another cocktail menu. 
painted on a board above the bar in a very shaky script by Igor, who wasn't an Igor, but was merely called one. It was best not to have fun with him on this subject, and especially not to ask him to sew your head back on. He'd done his best to flow with the zeitgeist, or would have done if he'd known what the word meant, but had totally failed to grasp the subtleties of the modern cocktail bar, so that the drinks on offer included having you teeth smashed in by a big stinky fist, head nailed to the door, kick in a fork, like big lump of steel hammer through you ears, neck bolt. Actually, the neck bolt wasn't too bad, Angua had to admit. Excuse me, said Cheery, teetering on a bar stool. Well, what was all that about, Tony? I could see you and Sally nodding to each other. That? Oh, it's the jerk syndrome. Angua remembered who she was talking to and added, uh, Dwarfs probably don't have that. It means sometimes a woman is so beautiful that any man with half a brain isn't going to think of asking her out, OK? Because it's obvious that she's far too grand for the likes of him. Are you with me? I think so. Well, that's Tawny. And for the purposes of this explanation, Nobby has not got half a brain. He's so used to women saying no when he asks them out that he's not afraid of being blown off. So... He asks her because he figures why not, and she, who by now thinks there's something wrong with her, is so grateful she says OK. But she likes him. I know. That's where it all gets strange. It's much simpler for dwarfs, said Cheery. I expect it is. But probably not as much fun, said Cheery, looking crestfallen. Tawny was returning. Angua ordered three neck bolts, while Cheery hopefully negotiated for a screaming orgasm. Patience is a key virtue among dwarfs. And then, with occasional assistance from Sally, Angua explained to Tawny the facts of, well, everything. It took some while. You had to keep changing the shape of sentences to get them fit into the currently available space in Tawny's brain. Angua clung to the idea, though, that the girl couldn't be that stupid. She works in a strip club, didn't she? I mean... Why do you think men pay to watch you on stage? she asked. Because I'm very good, said Tawny promptly. When I was ten, I got the Dancer of the Year award in Miss Deviante's ballet and tap class. Tap dancing, said Sally, grinning. Hey, why don't you try that on stage? Angua closed her mind to the image of Tawny tap dancing. The club would probably burn to the ground. Um, let me try this another way, she said. And I'm telling you this as another uh, female. Tawny listened intently, and even the way in which she looked puzzled was unfair to the rest of her sex. When Angua had finished, she looked hopefully at the angelic expression. So what you're saying, right, said Tawny, is that walking out with Nobby is like going into a big posh restaurant and only eating the bread roll? Exactly, said Angua. You've got it. But I never really meet men. Granny told me not to act like a floozy. And you don't think that working at... Angua began, but Sally cut in. Sometimes you need to flooze regularly, she said. Haven't you ever just gone into a bar and had a drink with a man? No. Right, said Sally. She drained her glass. I don't like these neck bolts. Let's go somewhere else and... She paused. Open your mind to possibilities. It was odd having Sybil in Sudopolis Yard. It had been one of the Ramkin family homes before she'd given it to the watch. She'd been a girl there. It had been her home. Some apprehension of this crept into the chipped and stained souls of the watchmen. Men not known for the elegance of their manners found themselves automatically wiping their feet as they came in and respectfully removing their helmets. They spoke differently, too, slowly and hesitantly, anxiously scanning the sentence ahead for expletive to delete. Someone even found a broom and swept up or at least move the dirt to a less obvious place. Upstairs, in what had been up until then the cash office, young Sam slept peacefully in a makeshift bed. One day, Vimes hoped, he would be able to tell him that on one special night he'd been guarded by four troll watchmen. They'd been off duty but volunteered to come in for this, and were just itching for some dwarfs to try anything. Sam hoped the boy would be impressed. The most other kids could hope for was angels. Vimes had commandeered the canteen because it had a big enough table. He'd spread out a map of the city. A lot of the rest of the planking was occupied by pages from the Coombe Valley Codex. This wasn't a game, this was a puzzle. A sort of, yes, jigsaw puzzle. 
and he ought to be able to do it, he reasoned, because he already had nearly all the corners. Etacap Street, Money Trap.